This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited to be speaking with Dr. Patty Lathan, who's an associate professor in small animal internal medicine at Mississippi State University College of Veterinary Medicine. We're going to be talking about a disease called Cushing's disease right after these messages. Corpchuk, his coat is very thick. He's an Akita, German Shepherd, Lab, Husky Mix. Harold, the Border Collie Pit Mix, has the most beautiful jet black coat. Stuart, my rat carrier, has fur now where he never had it before. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite will give them a beautiful, lustrous coat. It will make you smile. You get some Dynavite, how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Dr. Patty Lathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Dr. Lee. Thanks so much for inviting me to be here. Well, you are well known in the hyperadrenocorticism or Cushing's disease world. And that's why I wanted to bring you on today. So first of all, just so our audience knows who you are, do you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction about who you are, where you trained and what you do? Sure. I did my undergraduate degree in chemistry at Texas A&M, and then I went on to University of Pennsylvania, where I got my veterinary degree. And as I recall, I think you were a resident there when I was there. And then I went to practice for a year. I went in general practice. Then I went and did, I came down to Mississippi to do an internship down here. Then I went to Purdue University for my residency. And my residency was in internal medicine, but my focus has been on endocrinology the whole time. Wonderful. And just so our pet owner audience knows, what the heck is endocrinology? What exactly does that mean? Endocrinology has to do with the study of different glands and hormones. The most common endocrinopathy or endocrine disease is diabetes, which I think most people are pretty aware of. Generally, they're diseases that where the body either makes too much or too little of a hormone. All right. Well, thank you so much for telling us about that. Now, a lot of people have never heard of the endocrine disorder, hyperadrenocorticism. And I know that's a mouthful. We often call this Cushing's disease. And I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of background information. What exactly is Cushing's disease? And do humans, dogs and cats get it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think you're right. Most people don't have any idea what we're talking about when we say hyperadrenocorticism. Some people are aware of the other name for it, which is Cushing's disease. And it is a disease that people get. It's pretty rare in people. It's pretty rare in cats, but it's more common in dogs. When dogs get Cushing's disease, it's caused by excess steroid in the body. The steroid we talk about most is cortisol, but it's caused by the adrenal gland, which is an organ that sits 
near the kidneys, it makes too much steroids and the body has effects from that. Some people may be able to associate the signs that we see in dogs with Cushing's with when they've either taken prednisone themselves or when their dogs have taken prednisone because cortisol is very, very similar to prednisone. So in this disease, dogs have a lot of different clinical signs due to excess of cortisol. Why is it so common in dogs? Like, do you think it's a genetic component or do we see it in more breeds than others? That is an excellent question. Whether it's genetic or not, I can't answer it. I don't know that we have any studies that have proven it to be genetic. However, we do know that it does happen more commonly in terriers like to get it, especially little Yorkshire terriers of which we own one. Also, schnauzers are predisposed to it. And then there's some other little breeds that tend to get it. It tends to be a smaller, smaller breed disease, but bigger dogs can certainly get it as well. All right. And what are some of the clinical signs that a pet owner may see or chronically notice that may actually result in the diagnosis of Cushing's disease? I think the most common thing that people notice with their dog is that the dog is just drinking a lot. And sometimes it's not like the dog suddenly goes from drinking normally one day to drinking a ton the next day. The people may have noticed over the past weeks to months to years that the dog's water intake has increased slowly. And sometimes I think people don't even notice that it's increasing because it's been over such a long period of time. But when people come in because they're concerned about signs that end up being due to Cushing's, it's usually because the dog has been drinking excessively. The other thing people will notice if they don't notice the drinking excessively, they often notice the urinating excessively. And that's because the dog's either asking to go out more frequently or having accidents in the house. Occasionally, we'll also notice that a dog that had incontinence as a younger dog and then responded to medical therapy, that suddenly that dog who was under control with medical therapy is incontinent again. So they'll notice that the dog seems to be wetting the bed when it hadn't done that in many years. So again, drinking excessively and urinating excessively is the most common clinical sign, but then other people may notice that the dog is panting a lot more than it used to be. The dog may also have some muscle wasting, but most people don't notice this because they generally associate it with their dog aging because Cushing's does occur in older dogs. The other thing that they'll do is eat a lot. These dogs can seem like they are never, ever full, and that will sometimes drive owners nuts. Other owners don't necessarily notice it because in our society right now, dogs tend to uh, like to eat a lot anyway. So some owners don't notice the eating excessively, but then other dogs, it was a dog that never was a huge eater, and suddenly they're eating everything in sight. So great information. So drinking a lot, urinating a lot, maybe having more dilute urine. I'm in Minnesota, so owners can really see what the urine color looks like in the snow six months out of the year and having an increased appetite and panting more. So what are some of the more common tests that family practitioners or general practitioners might run on a dog to help diagnose Cushing's disease? Well, since you know, a dog doesn't usually come in with a sign on his head that says he has Cushing's. Vets have to figure out whether the signs that the owners are describing are due to Cushing's or something 
else that may be a little bit simpler to treat. So the first thing vets are usually going to do is run a urinalysis just to figure out whether the urine is concentrated or not. And like you said, sometimes you can see the urine is really yellow, which is suggesting it's concentrated, but not always true. Whereas when it's really clear, then you think it's not as concentrated. But at the same time, they're running that urinalysis because sometimes when dogs have infections, especially in their kidneys, that can make them drink excessively as well. And then other types of infections can also cause urinary problems. So in addition to doing your urinalysis, they may end up doing a urine culture to look for that infection because it's not always obvious on just a regular urinalysis. In addition to those, vets are going to do just some basic tests. So they're going to check and see whether the dog has any other signs on its complete blood count, which is gives us an idea of whether the animal is anemic or whether it has any signs of infection or something else like that. And they're also going to generally do something called a serum biochemistry panel. So that's going to give us an idea of the liver function, kidney function, and some other parts of the body just to give us an idea of the animal's overall wellness. Because again, there are a lot of different things that cause animals to drink a lot and urinate a lot. So we need to make sure that the kidney and the liver are healthy before we go forth to do some more specific testing looking for Cushing's. All right. So I agree. Most of the time, general practitioners will do that complete blood count, that chemistry panel, that urine test, which is really good screening. And I would say whenever my dog or my cat turns seven or eight years of age, I routinely do blood work to check organ function because what I end up seeing at the ER vet is the sooner we diagnose a problem, the sooner we can treat it. So we talked about some of the clinical signs, the excessive drinking, the excessive urination and the panting. And these don't sound like they're that bad. Like if an owner can let their dog out all the time, it's not going to be a big deal. But untreated, does Cushing's become a potentially life-threatening complication? So Cushing's is not usually life-threatening. More often than not, it just causes decreased quality of life for both the dog who needs to drink and urinate a lot and for the owner who has to let the dog out a lot and also sometimes clean up accidents. However, there are some life-threatening consequences to it. One of the biggest ones we'll see, although it's not all that common, is when dogs will throw a clot to their lungs. We call that a pulmonary thromboembolism. And when that happens, it's severely life-threatening. Unfortunately, some of the dogs that have a PTE or this clot to the lungs, they don't make it past when it happens. So when we identify Cushing's in a dog, we definitely recommend treating it. There's some other things as well that can be life-threatening in dogs that have Cushing's disease. Cushing's causes immunosuppression. So what that means is that the body's immune system isn't functioning properly. If you think about it, in people that get transplants, so say they get a heart transplant or a kidney transplant, the doctors are automatically going to give them medications to help suppress their immune system from rejecting that organ. And the drug they give most commonly is steroids. So in dogs that are already making a lot of steroids in their body, they're more prone to infection. So in addition to getting skin infections, these animals can get urinary tract infections or they may be more prone to pneumonia. And all of these things when they're untreated can also result in obviously a decreased quality of life, but death eventually. We'll be right back with Dr. Lathan right after these messages. Okay. I'll admit it. As a veterinarian, I don't brush my dog's teeth as much as I'm supposed to, but my dog loves chewing on treats. 
So why not give them a dental treat that offers more? Daily Dose is a two-in-one dual benefit dog chew that supports dental hygiene and full body health. With Daily Dose, your dog gets a daily dental scrub and powerful supplements to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by veterinarians to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. It comes in four types, available for joint, skin, heart health, and calming. What I like about them? They have ingredients that I recommend as a veterinarian, and they're made in the USA. To help keep your dog healthier and happier, try Daily Dose, because one chew a day may keep the veterinarian away. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code ERVET. That's E-R-V-E-T. It's more than a treat. It's a treatment. One chew a day for happier, healthier dog years. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're talking with Dr. Patty Lathan from Mississippi State University about the disease Cushing's disease. So far, we've talked about the clinical signs and the blood work that's often helpful in diagnosing it. What I wanted to ask you now is we know that while some of these signs can be inconvenient, it ultimately can potentially be fatal from these life-threatening pulmonary thromboembolism complications that can happen. Now, I know there's some more advanced tests that internal medicine specialists or some practitioners may be able to do to diagnose Cushing's disease. And I was wondering if you could just talk about these different type of additional tests. Sometimes dogs have to be hospitalized for the day in order to do this in your hospital. And I was just wondering if you could explain the pros and cons and then discuss potentially costs associated with it. Sure. There are a couple of different tests that we usually start with when we think that a dog has Cushing's after we've already looked at their CBC chemistry and urinalysis. The first one and my favorite one is one called the low-dose dexamethasone suppression test. This is called sometimes the LDDS, and it's the one in which the animal needs to be hospitalized throughout the day. So it's an eight-hour test. And the idea behind this test is we give them a steroid and see whether that will stop their body from making additional steroids. Because a normal dog, if you give them some steroids, their brain says, hey, there's too much steroid in my body, and they shut off all of their own cortisol production. So we can measure that later on in the day. However, if you have a dog that has Cushing's where their brain and or adrenal glands aren't working right, then we give them steroids and their brain doesn't respond to those steroids appropriately and it continues telling the adrenal gland to make a ton of cortisol. So this test unfortunately takes eight hours and it requires us to get the dog in in the morning take a pre-sample where we can measure cortisol, then we give them a steroid, and then we measure blood samples at four hours and at eight hours after we've started the tests. And then we look at how high the steroid concentrations are in there. And depending on what the findings are, it may definitively tell us whether the dog has Cushing's or not. Now, the disadvantage of this test is it's an eight-hour test. But the advantage of this test is it gives us a lot of information. For one, it's very sensitive for the diagnosis of Cushing. So generally, if your dog has Cushing's and we do this specific test, then it's probably going to tell us that your dog has Cushing's. 
Now, the other thing it can do is tell us why your dog has Cushing's. I skipped over this earlier, but Cushing's can be caused by two different things. One is by a tumor in the adrenal gland, which actually makes the cortisol, and that causes the adrenal to make an excessive amount of cortisol over time. The other way that a dog can have Cushing's disease is by a tiny little tumor in the pituitary gland, which is in the brain. So what happens when there's this tiny tumor in the brain is it makes a lot of something that tells the adrenal gland to make a lot of cortisol. So in that particular situation, it's the tiny tumor in the brain that's a problem, not the adrenal gland directly. So it's just the pituitary keeps telling the adrenal gland to make more and more and more cortisol, and that's where the problem is. So when we do the low-dose dexamethasone suppression test, about 65% of the time, it can tell us whether the Cushing's is due to a problem with the adrenal gland or with the brain, the pituitary gland. And the reason that's really important is because there are different treatments for the two different diseases. So the other test that we will sometimes use to diagnose Cushing's is called an ACTH stimulation test. And that's a, that's a mouthful. ACTH stands for adrenocorticotropic hormone, but I promise not to give you an exam on that later. The important thing to remember about that is that the ACTH stimulation test only takes one hour in the hospital, but it's not as sensitive as the low-dose dexamethasone suppression tests. So the disadvantage of the ACTH stimulation test is that sometimes it can actually miss the diagnosis of Cushing's. Depending on which study you look at, if you take 100 dogs that have Cushing's, you know, we know that the, all these 100 dogs have Cushing's and we do an ACTH stimulation test on them, only 80% of those, only 80 out of 100 of those dogs will test positive for Cushing's. The ACTH stimulation test is going to miss 20 of those dogs. So although the ACTH stimulation test is great and a lot of people like it because it's a shorter test, unfortunately, if I think the dog has Cushing's, and the ACTH stimulation test doesn't tell us that it does, then I generally tell them we need to do the low-dose dexamethasone suppression tests. The other disadvantage of the ACTH stimulation tests is that it does not differentiate between the two different types of Cushing's. Now, the title of this test is the ACTH stimulation test, and I just mentioned that in some dogs that have masses or tiny tumors in their brain, their brain tells the adrenal gland to make excess cortisol. Well, the way the brain tells the adrenal gland to make excess cortisol is by releasing ACTH. So when we do this ACTH stimulation test, we're basically walloping the adrenal glands with a large, large volume of ACTH, which the pituitary usually releases. And in a dog that has Cushing's, it's usually going to produce excess amount of cortisol. So again, the advantage of this test is it only takes us an hour to run, but the disadvantage is that it's not as sensitive as a low-dose dexamethasone suppression test, and it also can't differentiate the two different types of it. Now, if you want to talk cost, I would say the test probably costs about the same. I think from different geographical areas in the country to others, it varies significantly. But I would say both tests probably cost between two and $300. One difference is that when we do the ACTH stimulation test, we have to give ACTH. So vets have to be able to buy some ACTH first and a vial of that can cost $100 itself, which is why that particular test is expensive.
Well, I'm not going to lie, Dr. Lathan. I am so grateful for super smart people like you, internal medicine specialists who can figure out all these tests because sometimes it is really complex, even for your veterinarian or other specialists. So I always say if your dog or your cat was diagnosed with something complex and your veterinarian is unsure how to diagnose it or treat it, please make sure that you feel comfortable talking to them or even self-referring to an internal medicine specialist or other specialist if necessary. The key thing to keep in mind is there are a lot of different tests for this, but we obviously want to work with you as a pet owner as best we can to figure out the most cost effective, but also the most accurate way of being able to help diagnose this disease. Now, what do we do about treatment? Is there an easy pill or is this a once a day shot when it comes to treating this? So the thing about Cushing's is that we manage Cushing's. We don't usually cure it completely, but we can give animals a great quality of life. Dogs that have Cushing's that we treat, depending on which way we treat it, can live two to four years. And keep in mind that dogs that have Cushing's are usually older dogs to begin with. You might have a dog that's 10 to 14 years of age. So the fact that it lives another two to four years after that is pretty good because it's probably dying from something other than the Cushing's. The treatment that we choose depends on what kind of Cushing's they have. Most dogs that have Cushing's have it due to that tiny little tumor in the brain. Now about 15% of dogs that have Cushing's have it due to the adrenal tumor. And usually we'll identify this adrenal tumor on ultrasound. Now, if a dog has Cushing's due to an adrenal tumor, the best treatment for it, depending on some other factors, is surgery. So it's important to figure out whether it's an adrenal tumor or a little pituitary tumor before going on to treatment, because if you're willing to do surgery, then that's going to be a much better treatment. And when I said that we don't cure Cushing's, I actually, that was a little bit of a half truth because when animals do have adrenal tumors and we can take them out surgically, then we can cure them of their Cushing syndrome. Unfortunately, adrenal surgery is somewhat expensive. I would say that in most places it's three to $4,000 or maybe more depending on where you live. And it does have some mortality associated with it. I think depending on different factors, it may have about a 15% mortality. However, it's really important to talk to your vet about this very specifically because there are certain factors that make the surgeon know that it's going to be a little bit trickier to do this surgery. For example, if we see an adrenal tumor and it's really, really, really big, then that may make it a little bit scarier to remove. And then if we do surgery and that tumor is invading into things around it, like the kidney or some of the vessels that carry blood around the adrenal gland, then that makes it a little bit scarier to take care of them. Now, many dogs with adrenal tumors have been treated successfully with adrenalectomies, but it's really important to have a lot of information before you go in there to remove the adrenal gland because of the associated mortality with it. So if your vet recommends ultrasound or your vet recommends CT, the reason for that is to make it safer for your dog in the end. So again, for adrenal tumors, the ideal therapy is to have it removed. Now for pituitary tumors, in the vast majority of cases in the United States due to location, the only option we have is to treat them medically. There are a few places between the U.S. and Europe that will actually go in and remove the pituitary gland, but for most people, that's just not a very practical approach. I don't think most people have the ability to travel to these locations, plus these procedures are really expensive. So, 
the most common treatment we use for pituitary-dependent disease or the disease part of Cushing's that's caused by the tiny tumor in the brain is a medication called trilostane. Trilostane is a drug that basically decreases the production of cortisol in the body. It inhibits one of the enzymes and decreases cortisol production. So over time, the cortisol production is going to decrease in these dogs, which means the clinical signs associated with that high cortisol concentration are going to decrease over time. Now, this drug can actually be used in dogs that have adrenal tumors as well, if for some reason the owner, or for lots of different potential reasons, the owner decides not to pursue adrenal surgery or after all the imaging to see what the adrenal tumor looks like, the owner and the vet decide that it's not the safest to go in and remove this adrenal tumor, then we can go ahead and use trilostane in those dogs as well. Trilostane, what are some of the potential side effects from it? And how often would a dog have to go in for blood work monitoring? And is this a lifelong medication that they're going to go on? So those are all great questions. So trilostane is a medication that we are typically going to give twice daily. Some vets will use it once daily. And if that works for the dog, that's great. Most cases, I think twice daily works a little bit better. And we generally get, well, we absolutely tell owners to give the drug with food because it's absorbed a lot better. This is a medication that dogs are going to be on for life because if we haven't removed the pituitary tumor that's causing the Cushing's disease, then the only thing that we can do is control the cortisol production. So almost all dogs that go on trilostane are going to be on trilostane for life. The biggest side effect we talk about in these dogs is, and this sounds really weird, but if you suppress cortisol production too much, so if your cortisol concentration gets too low in the body, then that can cause something that's pretty much the opposite of Cushing's, which is called Addison's disease. So dogs in which the cortisol concentration is too low, have some vomiting and some diarrhea. Now, in most cases, this is something that owners notice their dog's not eating or their dog has a little vomiting or diarrhea. We check some levels and we are going to uh, then stop the medication and then wait for the clinical science to improve and the blood work to improve and then start them back on the medication. So most dogs that do have side effects from trilostane, it's usually gastrointestinal, meaning decreased appetite, maybe some lethargy, vomiting, diarrhea. I realize lethargy is not gastrointestinal, but work with me. So Talking about monitoring in these guys, monitoring is actually kind of my area of research right now because the most common test that we use to monitor trilostane therapy is something called the ACTH stimulation test, which you guys might remember. I just mentioned it's one of the tests we use to diagnose Cushing's. So when we use it to diagnose Cushing's, we're using it to see how much cortisol the body is producing to see if the body is producing too much cortisol. When we're using it to monitor for effectiveness of the trilostane, we're using it to tell us not only whether it's decreasing cortisol production, but telling us whether the cortisol production is still high enough to be safe. So again, the biggest clinical signs that we'll see are due to too low cortisol. So for me, the reason we're doing a lot of this testing is to make sure that the dog's cortisol concentration hasn't gone down too low. Now, in addition to this testing, it's really, really, really important for people that have dogs with Cushing to understand that the number one thing that we're trying to do with these dogs is to treat their clinical signs. Now, I always say treat the dog and not the numbers, meaning that 
you need to be watching your dog very carefully and tell us, of course, whether the dog's having any side effects. But I also want people to maybe write down on a daily basis, you know, how much water intake does the dog have, whether you're actually measuring how much the dog is drinking or you're just writing down how many times the dog went out that day or how many times the dog made you get up in the middle of the night or how many accidents the dog had. Then also monitor different signs such as panting and see if the increased appetite's decreased or not. So in addition to the blood test, or even more importantly than the blood test, I really want to have owners paying attention to their dogs to tell me whether they think the dog is getting better. Because really with Cushing's, I have two primary objectives. Number one is to improve the quality of life of the dog and the owner, of course, because they're intimately associated. And then also I want to keep it safe. So by having owners tell me how the dog is doing, I'm trying to achieve my goal number one, which is controlling clinical signs and improving the quality of life of the dog and the owner. And by doing the blood work, the ACTH stimulation testing, I am trying to determine whether the dog still has enough cortisol production to keep it safe to keep treating this way. So one of the tests that we've been trying to evaluate over the past few years is measuring a pre-pill cortisol concentration to determine whether these dogs with Cushing's are doing okay. So remember, one of my goals is to make sure the dog is safe. So the idea is the pre-pill cortisol, if it's the value is over a certain number, I can tell you that I don't think that dog is at risk for becoming Addisonian at any point, meaning I don't think the dog is at risk for having any signs associated with low cortisol anytime soon. The ACTH stimulation test can also tell us this. However, the ACTH stimulation test, for one, it takes probably an hour and a half at your vet clinic, and it also costs two to three hundred dollars, depending on where you are. A pre-pill cortisol, the dog just comes in the morning before it gets its medication, and then we take a blood sample and we send the dog home and tell them the results later on. Now, all of these tests that we use, whether we're using the ACTH stimulation test or the pre-pill cortisol, it's really important, again, to interpret these in light of clinical signs. To me, the most important thing is to make sure that the dog's cortisol concentration is not low, which is why I think the pre-pill cortisol helps a lot because it rules out the chance, hopefully, that the dog um, is going to become Addisonian anytime soon. But at the same time, sometimes when the value is really, really high, then that correlates with what the owner is telling me and the owner might be telling me the dog is drinking a lot still. And then I look at the cortisol value and I'm like, oh, it's really high. That makes sense. Let me increase the drug dose. Super helpful. So the biggest thing to know is Cushing's disease in dogs, it can be really complex and it's surprisingly common. So if you notice things like your dog drinking a lot, getting a pot belly or a thin hair coat, they're eating and seem ravenous all the time. If they have really dilute urine or they're having urinary accidents, please seek veterinary attention at your veterinarian to get some routine blood work done. And depending on what those blood tests show, that may warrant further tests, such as the tests that Dr. Lathan had talked about, these low-dose dexamethasone suppression tests, these ACTH stimulation tests. I know they're all a mouthful. They can be expensive, but it is really important to be able to diagnose it, to treat it. 
And again, there are surgical and medical options for this. But when in doubt, you do want to make an appointment with an internal medicine specialist if your dog was diagnosed with this hyperadrenal corticism or Cushing's disease, because long-term wise, it will not only improve your dog's quality of life, but it's an underlying chronic problem that needs to be treated. And we just want to prevent your dog from developing a life-threatening pulmonary thromboembolism. In a previous episode of ER Vet, we did talk about PT before. So make sure to check out that one. Well, Dr. Lathan, thank you so much for this fantastic information. I know it's a chronic endocrine disease, but so important that dog owners be aware of this one. Thank you, Dr. Lee. I enjoyed it. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Dr. Patty Lathan and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.